everyone, this is Megan. Before the show actually gets started, I just wanted to apologize. We had some trouble with our old microphone. Um, there are in a couple places some soft kind of thumping sounds and then in a two or three spots it completely cut out. So if it sounds like I am completely cutting Steve off, um, that's not what's happening. It's just either that we kind of edited that part out or that I'm here recording now to fill in some of those gaps. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you still enjoy the show. Here we go. Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are reviewing Greatest American Hero, which you can find on Tubi, which to be fair, it has a lot of ads on Tubi. That's the free streaming service. It's also on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber there. It has ads still, but less. So Tubi or not Tubi. No. Either way. (laughs) We watched it on both and it did seem to go quicker with a little bit less ads on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So if you're a subscriber to Amazon Prime, I kind of recommend you do that. Oh. And if, if you're not, you can see it free on Tubi. So yeah. it's not, not a big deal either way. So if you haven't been with us before, we have a cycle of what we watch. So we start with a cartoon, then we do a live action TV, and then we do a movie. So we are midway through that cycle. We just watched Transformers. It was our last episode. Yep. Next time, we're going to be talking about Flight of the Navigator. And also this month, coming up, we have a Memorial Day bonus episode. And we're going to be watching and talking about the movie Glory from 1989. Yep. So that's to look forward to as well. So that's to look forward to as well. So before we get into Greatest American Hero, we have, as always, our non-sponsored nostalgic snack review. Yes. And today it is pixie sticks because the greatest american hero flies and so do pixies (laughs) (laughs) so will you if you have enough pixie sticks which are just straight sugar almost almost exactly straight sugar so our pack here steve we've got blue orange purple and red what color is your um i will try orange all right i'm gonna take a blue so while steve's eating i'm gonna tell you as he said, it's almost ex- it's almost entirely sugar. Pixie Sticks is a sweet and sour colored powdered candy. And as today, it is packaged in a wrapper that kind of resembles a drinking straw. These were started by this man, Menlo Smith, in Utah. He came up with Fruzola, which was a powdered drink in 1936. And he meant it to be like a sour competitor for kool-aid okay so he was like kool-aid's too sweet what if we do a sour version of it and he moved his family from utah to st louis missouri and then this concept for powdered candy really came in 1942 so about six years later they essentially saw that kids were not making the drink they were just straight up eating the sugar basically they were eating the powdered fruit mix like a candy 
Um, which makes sense to me because Kool-Aid, if you remember the original form of Kool-Aid, you had to add sugar to it. You did, yes. So this I'm assuming you didn't, and that's why kids were just kind of straight up eating it. So they kind of said, let's take it back and reformulate it a tiny bit. And then sell it as a candy instead of a drink. So you can't make this into a drink. Well, I mean, maybe you could try. I don't think it would taste that great. Um, but yeah, they modified the formula and they branded it first as Lickamade in the 1940s, which later became Fun Dip. Oh, in that's the 1970s. True. So Fun Dip, we're gonna have in a couple weeks, which is, I guess, basically the same as what we're eating now. But it has three compartments and a little stick. You lick the stick and you dip yeah. it into the fun Here dip. you just have to pour it in your mouth. Yeah. So or snort it, which we've talked about before yeah, with Smarties. Yeah, we're not going to get into that again. So 1959 is when Pixie Sticks officially came out. And they had basically the same but differing flavors. Parents complained because you can't reseal this straw. And so sometimes it gets quite messy. Yeah, you got to just suck down the whole straw. You don't you don't save well, pixie I stick. Well, I think that's why this is a smaller version of what I remember. I remember like a long Maybe they have different sizes and we have like the mini size. Okay. Oh. Oh, that blue's a little bit tart for me. Mm. How's your orange? It tastes kind of like tang. Yeah. So, it's a little little it's a little little sour, but why do they have a best before date on the side of a pixie stick? I feel like these things are never going to go bad. Listen, it's best before April 2023, so we're fine. We're like Yeah, but I feel like you could probably store these and eat them forever. Like after the apocalypse and the cockroaches take over, no. you could still eat pixie sticks. What I was going to say is that pixie sticks, because of the complaints of parents, they reformulated it again. And this time... They created a hard-pressed version that we know as Sweet Tarts. Oh, okay. So, Lickamade, Fun Dip, Pixie Sticks, and Sweet Tarts really are pretty much the same formula candy, just kind of packaged three different ways. That makes ways. sense, because this tastes a lot like a Sweet Tart. Yeah, so that came out in 1962. In 1989, the company Fruzola and Sunline became part of the Wonka branch of Nestle. So okay. we talked about before Quaker Oats had this Wonka candy yep. um, tied in with the movie. If you haven't listened to our episode yet on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, go back and do that. Yep. So in 1989, they became part of Nestle, but then they were bought by the Ferrera Candy Company in 2018. This is a lot more tart than I remember. And I have to say... We talked about snorting some candy before now. <laughs> um, ruffians and... Uh, as Steve put it, degenerates that he hung out with. Right. Um, I think I might have snorted Pixie Stick one time. Yeah. And it immediately, again, as I said, I don't want to pretend to be Scarface. And it just hurt my nose. It, it was burns. Not pleasant. Yeah. yeah, it's not a pleasant feeling. No. I took a couple shots of this. I'm... Eh. All right. So we rate the candy one out of five. We rate the show one out of ten. What are we rating on today? Capes. Capes, yes. We'll, we'll rate out of capes. All right. I'm not a huge fan of tart candies necessarily. So I'm going to, I'm probably going to go with, what did I rate a, rate Smarties? A two? Yeah. I'm probably going to give this a two as well. I liked Smarties. They have a little <clears throat> bit more sweetness. I don't know why. I did not care for this. And I feel like it's not as sweet as I remember. It could be because I picked the blue raspberry. I'm wondering if I had the cherry, if I would like it more. Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, if I were younger and just wanted to get sugared up, 
this is the way to go. I mean, it's the most direct route, right? It's like mainlining. Yeah. You just want to go for, you just want to suck down as much sugar, maybe with a little taste as possible. Oh, you look like you liked that. No, I just tried the <laughs> cherry. It's way too tart for me. Mm. Yeah, it's just too sour. I think I'm going to go with a two as well. Um, oh, it's it's sour and yet I'm going to have a sugar high. Like that's the worst of both worlds. Yes. Um, okay, so... Two capes. capes out of five yep. for pixie sticks. But hey, if you um, want that nostalgic treat and you disagree with us and you love pixie sticks, I'm going to link that on our blog, Watch With Us. You can find the links there to buy the candy and you can also find links for some of the things we talk about, including the show links. So, um, Steve, tell us a little bit about Greatest American Hero. If you're out there listening and you've never seen Greatest American Hero... First off, pause this podcast, go watch it. You can see you can see what we've watched, what episodes on our website. Yep. Stop ruining my childhood. But here's a quick rundown. Um, it was a TV show that ran from 1981 to 1983. It was three seasons long, and basically, you have a mild-mannered school teacher who teaches high school special ed, mm-hmm. which in 1981 was more like the challenging class mm-hmm. for behaviors. More than actually kids that needed, like, special help, necessarily. Yeah, we're going to talk about that um, later. And so, you know, it's kind of like, it reminded me a little bit of, like, a Welcome Back Cotter, mm-hmm. which was just a few years earlier than this, probably, and would have been on people's minds. So you have Ralph Hinckley, who is this mild-mannered high school teacher who ends up being gifted by aliens this special suit that grants him superpowers. He's then teamed up with an FBI agent, Bill who he points him to cases and crimes that need to be figured out, and the two of them work together to solve them. Um, It's actually more of a three-person team, Mm -hmm. because also Ralph's girlfriend, Pam, is an attorney, but she ends up getting roped into help on a lot of these and ends up being part of that team, kind of. She almost acts as a liaison between Bill and Ralph, who are very different, right? Ralph is like a young, hip kind of school teacher, and Bill is like a hard-nosed, by-the-book FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And so the two of them very often are not on the same page, and she kind of runs a little bit of inter- interference. And so the whole premise of the show is that, you know, mysteries or cases come up, and then the two of them work to solve it with Bill's ability as an FBI agent to kind of look at the clues and try to unsolve, you know, solve a mystery, and then with Ralph stepping in with his superhero powers to kind of help in a supernatural way. Yeah, it's a little bit like a buddy cop detective type of show. A little but bit, yeah. with a superhero twist. With a superhero yeah. twist. So, some fun facts in history about the show. First, there were a lot of shows that had kind of a superhero twist at the time. The Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno, Wonder Woman, The Six Million Dollar Man, and of course in the pilot we see like uh, super friends. They're watching like some cartoons that have a superhero theme yes. as well. So Stephen Cannell, he is the, the show creator and he basically planned the show initially to be a series emphasizing real life problems. So he was going to have this suit, but then solve problems like with the special ed kids, um, possibly with his son, because we see in the pilot he's divorced and he has a young son, things like that. 
And what ended up happening is that the network messed with the show. Mm -hmm. So there was a change in management at ABC and they wanted more heroic, save the day, big action plot kind of things. The ABC executives, Marcy, Marcy, Carsey, and Tom Warner, if you've seen a lot of shows they produced later, Carsey Warner shows, Roseanne was one of them. So they had a lot of hits and stuff. They really finally came to this agreement with Canal that the powers would be in the suit and not the man. So they still wanted to have like this grounding that he was a normal everyday guy. Yes. Right. And having him um, not really understand how to use the suit yep. was kind of part of that. And we'll get into that with our full recap. But the series also tried to emphasize character comedy. So like still, again, trying to ground it with the superhero antics, but they still have like typical human flaws and life issues kind of in between the action right so that it's not totally about like fbi and things like that i want to mention too you know steve mentioned that the teacher is a special ed teacher that came out of the creator's experience he was dyslexic okay but he also this is like to me a good example of how that doesn't mean that you're not great with like writing and and creativity he wrote this he wrote columbo ironside he was a co-creator for the a-team which we also reviewed yep he was also a co-creator for 21 jump street so many others i can't even name so he really went on to do a number of amazing things um the symbol on the suit yep is supposed to be possibly an open book with a needle in it like a sewing needle okay I don't know why. I think that might be in an episode that we didn't watch, but it is supposed to be like opening the book of knowledge. Okay. I just assumed it's an alien symbol because the suit's an alien. Yeah, but it it has something to do with like knowledge and... Okay. Yeah. So Ralph, his name is Hinkley, but they decided to change it after the assassination attempt. On President Reagan, yes, right, which would have been right in this time period. John Hinckley Jr. Yep. attempted to assassinate the president, and then they were like, we can't have a hero with the same last name. Yes. So for a while it was changed to Hanley, and then they were like, nobody's going to know or care, so they changed it back. Yes. We have in the pilot Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, like little like glimpses of these. Mm-hmm. So... Warner Brothers, the owners of DC Comics, were not happy about this show. And they saw it as an infringement on the Superman character. Yeah. So they took ABC to court, but I don't know. I think they kind of settled outside of court. But it seems like this series has more of an inspiration from the Green Lantern. Because that's a basic concept as an ordinary human being given like a powerful technology. Yep, the Green Lantern's <clears throat> given a power ring from aliens. Yep. From aliens, yeah. So it's kind of interesting that they didn't, like, sue them on that for the right. premise of that. So the theme song, believe it or not, reached number two on the pop charts. I believe it, yeah. It's such a catchy tune. Um, we're going to talk about that in our in our memory section as well. And then we have the cast. So t- William Cat, he is Ralph Hinkley. Yep. Hanley Hinckley. Yep. <laughs> he became first known for playing Tommy Ross in Carrie. He's yes. the, the boy who takes sort of prom. Yep. And his hair, if I remember, is much bigger in that even than it is yes. in, this, in the 70s. Yeah. Then after the success of the show, he released a soft rock album called Secret Smiles. 
Oh, well, there we the go. Name Billy Cat. But everyone, he... go to your iTunes and check out <laughs> Billy Cat's Secret Smiles. Listen, if I can find a song, <clears throat> I'll link the YouTube video of it in our blog because I think that's brilliant. But he's the son of TV legend Barbara Hale, which you probably don't know, but my mom would. She played Della on Perry Mason. Yeah, she played Della Street on Perry Mason. Yes, and she yeah. also played his mom on this show. She plays Ralph's mother in a couple of episodes. And then later, between 1985 and 1988, they brought Perry Mason back and they did a number of like made-for-TV movies yep. with Perry Mason. And he, Billy, came back and then he played Della's son. And he was in all those movies with them. And kind of like a sidekick. Yeah, Billy was in all the... There was nine Perry Mason movies made in like a three-year... Yeah. Like, small window, right? Yeah. And yeah, he played Paul Drake Jr., who was her son, but also his dad was Paul Drake, who was like an investigator that worked yes, for Perry Mason. Yes, I didn't know. So, Paula... So, I did not realize that So, Della, Della Street and Paul Drake had him as a son. Ooh la la. Yes. She was always doing flirting yeah. with Perry, and so I'm surprised. Billy Cat is actually a legacy person because his dad, Bill Williams, was also an actor. What was he in? He was widely known for being in the Western, The Adventures of Kit Carson. Oh, interesting. So, he had both his parents were actors. This is... And it's one of the reasons that he was... You know, a lot of newer actors, and I would I would classify him as newer at this point. Still, he right. had done Carrie, right? Yeah. But after Carrie, he was he was on an interview with Roger Ebert in 1979 before this hmm. project, and Roger Ebert asked like, "What's new? Well, you know, what's next for you?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know, well, because he was from an acting family, he didn't feel like he had to like." He wasn't in a situation where he was waiting tables, right? Right. So he said, you know, I'm really just holding out and I just really want to take projects that pique my interest. Yeah, it's nice if you can afford to do that, right? Well, when you're from a Hollywood, right? <laughs> yeah. This is like Drew Barrymore. Right. Who had acting in her blood, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it wasn't like she was in, uh, um, you know, a big, pu- a, a big push, right? Right. Um, or like Tom Hanks' kids, right? Yeah. Um, but who, then you come to Nicolas Cage, who's also from a family like that, and he just... <laughs> He does everything. He does everything. Right. So Um, Robert Culp played Bill Maxwell. He's the FBI agent. Um, He's a character actor who did a ton of shows, really from like the 60s straight through the 2000s. But most famously for I Spy. I Spy. With Bill Cosby. He was also he also did a couple episodes of the Cosby Show because of that. Mm-hmm. Murder She Wrote a couple episodes. He was in Every Lo- Everybody Loves Raymond. Yep. Get Smart, Gunsmoke, Columbo, just tons and tons of stuff. Then we have Connie Selica. Now Connie Selica is probably most famous for the show Hotel. Yes. But I know her from Christmas movies. <laughs> Well, she won an Emmy for Hotel. <laughs> That's she was great. very well known. But I know her from the movie I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yeah. This was kind of one of her first projects. <laughs> she did a lot of Lifetime movies later on. Later on, yes. And but a t- she a- is super attractive. She's beautiful. Yes. And um, she was married to the guy who played Buck Rogers, Gil Gerard. Oh, okay. And then later, um, now she's married to John Tesh, who's from Entertainment Tonight, yep. and also still making music. Yeah. John Tesh. But a big point of this is that Connie Selica, Billy Cat, and Robert Culp are really a powerhouse acting team. Yeah, they really are. And you know the thing about this, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get really 
you know, pe- save it for your review. <laughs> no, because this is not part of this. Sh- okay, this is sorry. Not, go ahead. This is not a re- part of an episode, right? Yeah. But in looking at this, I, I don't want to anger people by all means. But Billy Cat first auditioned for Star Wars mm. as Luke Skywalker. And Billy Cat actually was a very, very, very close runner-up. They were looking at him seriously over Mark Hamill. I love... Now, I want to just put this out there. I love Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I like Mark Hamill. I like him as Joker. I lo- You know, the voice of Joker in Batman the Anime yeah, Series. Yeah. A lot of his later stuff he's done. He's still doing a lot of things. And I like Mark Hamill. But I'm going to say, I think Billy Cat's a better actor. And yeah. I think he might have done a better Luke Skywalker. I can I can definitely see him for it. A lot of other times we we talk about like when we talked about Splash, John Travolta was up for the role yeah. of Alan instead of and Tom. And I'd be Hanks. like, no, <laughs> no. But here, yeah, I could see it. I wonder. It likely came down to a chemistry thing. Yep. They probably put the three of them together, and it was just not, maybe not working yeah. in terms of chemistry. It, it may have had the fact that, you know, I know in the original chemistry, you had Harrison Ford, who was still young at the time, too, yeah. but was more of a older brother mentor person yeah. in that field. And Mark Hamill comes off as very young yes. in the first New Hope, yes. right? Billy Cat, I don't think would have, I think Billy Cat would have seemed more of a peer yeah, and you Harrison have to Ford. have you have to have because Mark Hamill's character is supposed to be very innocent, yes. and and Harrison Ford's character is supposed to be like he's seen it all already, yeah. even though he's quite young too. But looking at Mark Hamill in the original Star Wars, which is just a few years before this, right? You're looking mm-hmm. at Empire Strikes Back around this time, and Billy Cat at this time. I feel like looking at the two of them at the same point in their career. I feel like Billy Cat's got a little better chops. They kind of have a similar look as well. Yeah. So the series, as Steve said, only ran for a couple of years. And then they tried to bring it back a couple of times, and it just never really worked out. In 2018, there was supposed to be a Greatest American Heroine. It was still called Greatest American Hero, but it was to star um, a female in the mm-hmm. role. And George Went was attached to it. Okay. And it seems like they made a pilot and it just didn't get picked up. They yeah. just never ran with it. And we'll talk about, you know, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. NBC actually sponsored it, which was different because ABC was the original Amer- Greatest American Hero. Yeah. NBC picked up Greatest American Heroine, did the pilot. It never went to air. But when Greatest American Hero went to syndication, they added Greatest American Heroine as the very last episode in that syndication package. Oh, interesting. And put it in. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Apparently the plot of it is it's much later, and Ralph has become, his secret identity got out, so Mm. he's like a celebrity. Everyone knows he's the hero. Okay. And the aliens come back, and they don't like that. So they make him give the suit to someone else so that people don't know who the person is. See, I like that premise. It's like kind of a reboot. And he introduces Holly, who's a young girl, to be the next. And apparently it was, uh, when when you see it come up, it has the traditional Greatest American Hero intro, but with a nighttime L.A. skyline. Mm. And then as it says, when it says Greatest American Hero, all of a sudden... Heroine gets added to the end. Oh, okay. And it's with a ding, ding, ding to is a nod to NBC. Oh, interesting. So that's a little bit of the history of this show. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about our memories or our lack thereof. And then we'll get into our full review and recap. 
This podcast is supported by its creators. And listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small, independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. Just in case you forgot (laughs) or didn't listen to the commercial where we also say our names. Yes. Steve, tell us about some of your memories of this show. All right, so I would have been very young when this show came out, like four to six. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember it being on the air. And so I remember watching it. Again, being that young, I remember the superhero parts. I remember the costume, which obviously is bright red and sticks out. I remember flying him flying crazily and things of that nature. But I will say, I, I don't remember much else. I don't remember the plot. I just remember the believe it or not. I remember the song and mm-hmm. the and the and it being a superhero show and the concept and the basically. concept. Interestingly enough, as I'm looking at it, my memories are like. You know, again, we're adults now, but I'm saying it's interesting that I remember it as being a real superhero show, and it's more of a buddy cop mystery show with a little bit of superhero added in. Yeah. They didn't they don't just focus a ton on the superhero part, which I like, but I don't remember that as a kid, obviously. I will say though, it's interesting because Manimal has a similar setup but totally different execution. Yeah. But you remembered that show a lot too. I and, did remember it. And similarly, Manimal. they were both kind of like it's a mystery, almost a detective show. Yes. With the superhero element as like a component of that. Mm-hmm. So he yeah, he's almost like a private eye or an amateur detective, yeah. I should say, cuz he's not a private yeah. eye. Really. I, I don't remember there being a lot of toys and things like that, but it was only 3 seasons and again, I was really young. I do remember that there was occasionally Great American Hero lunchbox, right? There was like there was some merchandise with it, but I don't remember it being so pervasive as like Transformers, GI Joe, things like that. How do you happen to know how many episodes they had? I do, yeah. Season 1 had 9 episodes. It okay. ran from March to May. Season 2 had 22 episodes. It was a full season. Okay. So it ran from November to April. And then Season 3 had 14 episodes. It ran from October to February. Right. So that basically means that it started as a mid-season replacement show. What that means is that when a when another show gets canceled... They have these backup shows where they haven't right. ordered a full season. They've ordered like half or a third. Yes. So it probably was replacing something that got canceled. Then it had a full season. And then my guess is season three, they kind of canceled it early. Well, I mean. If they had it, it go until February. Either that or I don't recall what was going on at the time. I think, I'm wondering if there was writer issues. Yeah, we talked about that with Little House, that one of one or two of the seasons there were writer strikes. So yeah, and we've seen that been. with other shows, too, where, <clears throat> the, where it was a lot yeah. shorter seasons because of writers. So really not enough episodes to put it in regular syndication, which is probably why I don't remember 45 it. 45 episodes altogether. Right. 46 with The Greatest American Heroine. 
Yeah, um, this is something that would have been picked up like by TV land, but yes. not in syndication in the way that like when things have more than 100 episodes, they'll show reruns. You know, like we're going to do Fantasy Island in a couple yeah. weeks. With with something like Fantasy Island, I remember it. It was in the 80s, but when I was very young, but it was on syndication because you it all the time, there yeah. were so many seasons. So I would watch the reruns. This I never saw. My only memory of this show is that in Seinfeld, and I looked it up to find out the episode. So it's season eight, episode 15. It's called The Susie. George has do you remember when people would have when they first got answering machines and they would have like cutesy messages yes. and um you would we as a family like we recorded ours until we had it perfect where it was like <laughs> hello this is megan and tim and karen and oh, boy. tim had an answering machine i think in college where he was like hello hello i can't hear you just kidding, this is my answering machine. So George has an answering machine message where he sings to the tune of The Greatest American Hero. Okay. So it's like, believe it or not, George isn't at home. Uh, but he's sitting right next to the answering machine. Right. He's screening his calls. So it has to go through this whole song. And then people start getting annoyed because they have to listen to this right. whole song and they know he's home. Um, and I just found that so funny. So that aired in 97. And that's really my only exposure to this show is a reference in a different show. So those are our memories. Let's get into the full review and recap and see if if it held up for Steve and if Megan enjoyed it the so first time around. The first episode, the first episode we watched was a double episode. It was the pilot, which was a part one and part two, mm-hmm. Greatest American Hero. And it's interesting. It it starts off introducing Ralph as a struggling teacher, and he takes his kids out to a long field trip in the desert in a van, and that's kind of where things get a little crazy. Their vehicle stalls. Um, and then he goes to get gas or go to a gas station and he ends up running into the FBI agent, um, which is, we know is Bill. Well, the FBI agent uh, almost runs, almost into runs him. into him. Yes. Cause he's driving. Cause, and, Cause his car's going nuts too. Right. Which we know we figure out is cause the aliens, the aliens show up at the two of them and basically Bill's ex-partner who just was killed by bad guys mm-hmm. has been saved kind of by the aliens and they use him to speak to them and basically tell them, listen, the aliens have chosen you guys. We're going to give Ralph a suit that's going to give him powers. And, you know, you're going to help point him into the directions that he needs to, that he can do the most good, basically. Right. So they're they're forcing them to team up. Yes, because they don't care for each other right. off the bat. And then the aliens disappear and they say, you know, here's the suit and the instruction booklet. Mm-hmm. Um, of how to use the suit and how to use all its powers. And so the two separate again because they're really not getting along. And Ralph takes the case with the suit in it and he looks at the instruction booklet and he goes to put it back and he doesn't put it back all the way. And as he walks away, you see the instruction booklet drop out and he loses it before he even ever puts the suit on. So then he basically goes back home and we find out more about his home life that he's getting a divorce that he's got a lawyer his ex is a model and she's trying to get custody of his young son and all of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and then we see basically ralph trying to figure out the suit and struggle in his day-to-day life he has the divorce going on a custody battle for his son who we meet 
Um, his girlfriend is his is his lawyer. Um, at the same time, Bill is trying to figure out what happened to his ex-partner. Um, and that kind of brings them back together. They find out that there's this uh, large conspiracy going on where this group, Gideon's Army, who <laughs> seems to be like a religious fanatical group, yeah, are funded. Cult, maybe. They're a cult, maybe. They're yeah. funded in basically strong arms for this rich guy mm-hmm. who also has backed the vice president of the United States. And so they have a, a plan to get rid of the president and insert his bought and paid for vice president as the new president. Right. So it's like a coup. It's like a coup. Yeah. And they find out about it. They jump in. They stop the coup. And Ralph is able to use some of his powers to stop the coup, basically. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the first... It's it's a two-hour or out a 45-minute, 45-minute two-parter. But that's basically what happens. And you get to... It really does a good job of introducing all the characters and and kind of the subplots as it goes along. Yeah, so let's go then piece by piece. Thank you for the summary. So we have a tag at the beginning, right, of Bill's partner. Mm-hmm. And this is just something I noted. The, the, the religious cult is chasing him in dune buggies. Yes. Which, again, we also saw in Manimal, and I put... What's up with so many Doom buggies? Yeah. We saw in the, did we see in the A team too? Yeah, I think the A team might have Doom had buggies Doom buggies must have too. been like the hot thing. They were a big thing in the 80s, yeah. Yeah. So this cult, their skinheads essentially, so they look kind of like neo Nazis, but then this woman starts singing onward Christian soldiers yeah. in a very warbly voice. Or or you neo know, Nazis are what I thought of was Hari Krishnas. Yeah. Which were everywhere in the 80s. Yeah, they were. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a, a militarized yeah. group of And then we come into the kind of normal part of Ralph's life, which we see for about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. What did you think of this section? Um, it wasn't too bad. I like the fact that, first off, I thought it was interesting that Ralph is in the middle of a divorce, mm-hmm. right? And there's a custody battle for his son who he has custody of. Mm-hmm. And in 1981, a single dad wouldn't have been necessarily a, a real common plot point. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that they didn't... Most shows of this time period, mm-hmm. and even today a lot of times they they shy away from it. Most shows of this time period would have him be a, a widower. But they really went a different way and kind of showed the reality. We're, you know, as Gen Xers, we had our parents generation really had super high divorce rates that had not been seen really before that point so it's always surprising to me that a lot of shows didn't reflect that yeah so this does the other thing is steve turned to me and said oh he's he looks like dennis <laughs> so yeah. ralph has kind of like a strawberry blonde very curly afro which my dad did have yeah. my father dennis did have and my dad also taught special ed yeah and this is to me really indicative of the time period because my father complained about this as well he would say they're not giving me kids who actually have special needs they're giving me kids who are just having behavioral issues right so if you were sent to the principal a number of times you'd be sent to special ed almost like a punishment To get you out of class. To get you out of class, but it really wasn't necessarily what you needed, right? Right. And they have this conversation. Two things happen in this conversation. The first is that the former special ed teacher tells Ralph, like, 
yeah, I was looking at it like I could do some good and rehabilitate those kids, but then I turned to defense tactics because they ruined my car and they poured sawdust in the engine. Yeah. And then they set my lawn on fire, you know, all these things. And then Ralph says, some of them are really smart, like Rhonda. And what does the other teacher say, Steve? He says, he says, oh, you mean love me, Rhonda? Yeah. And then he goes, face it, Ralph, you got a real trash can in there. Yeah. And it's not clear whether he's referring to the class as a whole or just Rhonda. Yeah, there's a number of times Rhonda mentions or calls, like, talks about herself as being trash or her mom's trashy. Yeah. And that people think she's kind of easy. Yeah. It's so sad. You know, we meet some of his kids. And interestingly enough, I love that the tough kid that's giving him the most problems, Tony, Mm -hmm. is played by Michael Paré. Yeah. Who is famous for being in another 80s, late 80s movie, Eddie and the Cruisers, Mm. which is a cult favorite. Okay. So anyone out there, if you're an Eddie's and the Cruiser fan and you want us to do Eddie's and the Cruiser review, let us know. Because <laughs> I would be all over that. It's one of, I, I love Eddie's and Eddie and the Cruisers. And he played Eddie in that movie. Okay, so So I all instantly that just connected with me. I did really like um it is a diverse classroom. It did remind me, as you said, of Welcome Back Cotter. Yep. But then I put all seven. These kids are at least twenty-three. Yeah. <laughs> and I look it up and yeah. Michael Pare, who plays like the leader. Tony, yeah. Tony. And he's dating Rhonda. Yep. So the two of them are kind of featured and in season two later they were like featured players in yeah. the show. But I look him up, he is twenty-three. Yeah. And she was twenty-four. And I was like, Oh, I nailed it. Yeah. So then they go to the desert on a geological field trip. Um, it is nighttime. By the time they get yeah, by the time they get there, it's nighttime. Yeah, it's dark out. Yeah. They're just driving in the desert. Can can we also talk about on the way to the desert they stop for like a late dinner? Yeah, at a diner. In a diner, and that's where they first meet Bill, who Tony tries to pick a fight with Bill, the FBI agent, and basically making fun of the fact that he wears a three piece suit. Yeah. And they almost go to blows, and Tony pulls out a switchblade, and Bill pulls a gun on a kid. Yeah. Right? So the FBI agent pulls his gun on a high school kid, and Ralph is able to kind of break it up and dissolve the situation. Yeah, I really like that you get to see Ralph's personality, that he's a peacemaker, because that's going to be really important later on. He kind of reminded me of Michael Landon in Highway to Heaven, where he's going around like helping people. I wanted to say, too, so the bus breaks down in the middle of the desert. I actually had this happen on a field trip that I was a part of. The bus broke down. They had to pull over at a rest stop in the middle of, like, a rain sleet mm-hmm. storm. And we were stuck there for seven hours. It just kind of reminded me of this scene being stuck on that field trip. But then we have the spaceship. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about because I feel like... This I, I wrote down, you know, the alien spaceship is really good special effects for the time. It was really good special effects. Really good effects. special effects, especially for a TV show. It reminded me a re, an awful lot of Close Encounters of the Third Yes, kind. that's what I was going to say, too. So the spaceship comes, and you mostly see it from the bottom. It's, like, lit up. Lit it up. was very detailed. You could have that special effect in any show today. You could have it in, Yeah, you could have it in a show today easily. My guess is that they did it with models. And it looks to me like maybe they filmed the two guys on a green screen 
and shot it day for night, which is where they they change it later to make it look like night. It was just really, really well done. I also, old tech alert, I like the aliens communicate through the radio. Yes. And they slide the radio dial back and forth to pick up different words. Yeah, to make sentences. And I was like, (laughs) first of all, I haven't listened to a car radio in probably 10 years, but that old-fashioned type with the AM and FM and all of that. I also really liked the choice of having the dead partner. Yeah, to connect it to Bill and to connect it. Yeah, because also it's the partner instead of the aliens. So we don't know what the aliens look like. And I think that was also a budgetary choice. That's my guess, because I don't know if we see the aliens later. Well, it does add mystery, too. It adds a lot of mystery, but then you don't have, like, bad makeup, which would have dated it. So... I love that he drops the instruction manual. (laughs) Um, He's carrying the suit. And the kids, he thinks, are messing around with the car, but they're trying to fix it. And and Tony says, like, we've all been taking shop classes for years. Yeah, we know what's going on. what we're actually good at. In the meantime, Rhonda hits on him. Yeah, Rhonda hits on him and she said she pulls him to the back of the van and basically was like, "How do you feel about me? You know, I'm not easy like people think I am." But she's touching his chest and being very flirtatious. Very flirtatious. Yeah. And this is not that kind of a show. This is not Pretty Little Liars, okay? Or like I don't know, Beverly Hills 90210 or Dawson's Creek. Right. That's the one where they have the relationship. We're not going to have this happen. He's also again, it shows a lot of his character because mm-hmm. she's clearly of age, but she is his student. I mean, she's 24 in real life, but she is <laughs> she is his student and he's also but he doesn't laugh at her. Right. He's very respectful and he's like, Rhonda, I don't feel that way about you. I'm just your teacher. Yeah. And I think it's also very telling, and he says this to Tony later, she thinks that way about me because I'm the only person who's kind to her. Right. I'm the only person who does give her respect. So she kind of misunderstands that respect a little bit. Yeah. And then we have the bit with the custody hearing. It was interesting. You know, I like the, we, we get the fact that he, he misses the custody hearing. He tries to get there, and then this whole section actually was interesting because it's the custody hearing slash him learning his suit powers. Yeah. Um, and so I like the fact that about the whole show is that it's not like most superhero shows where he gets powers and then he's just like this dominating hero, mm-hmm. right? He's kind of, he has no, he makes so many mistakes. He doesn't know how to fly, and even when he starts to, he hits a building, yeah. right? Um, he doesn't know what any of his powers are because he lost the instruction ma- manual, and so they're coming at him at different times. It just, it, it's really, I mean, a lot of it was done, I think, for a comedy effect, but at the same time, it, it kind of humanizes him more as a hero. Yeah, and also that we don't get an info dump about his life. No. Like, we have him teaching first, and then we see a little bit of his home life. We don't know fully the story until, like, the next day. And then she says, like, hey, don't forget, it's the custody here, you yeah. know, and all of that kind of thing. So He I goes through that the first 10 or 15 minutes. He goes through the whole... The whole field trip gets the suit and everything before he comes home, and then you find that he has a son. Yeah. You don't really know that until he No, gets home. it's kind of an interesting reveal. <laughs> There's a couple things when he's learning the first time he puts on the suit very reluctantly because, as we find out later, it looks like Long John's. I liked that, too. In most superhero you know, shows, the superhero 
outfits do look like pajamas, right? Yeah. They look ridiculous, but people are like, oh, look at that superhero. He puts it on, he's like, this looks ridiculous, yeah. right? Which is, which is, you know, how most people oh, respond. It's so realistic. But also, I don't think that most younger people know what long johns are. I know a lot of people who have never heard that term before. I today. Yeah, today. Yes. Um, so it's a joke that wouldn't maybe land today. But so if you don't know, long johns are also known as long underwear. Yeah. And they're essentially pajamas that you would wear under your clothes in the wintertime to yeah. keep you warmer. So they were often red or pink and they looked like footy pajamas. Yeah. And sometimes they didn't have feet, but they'd go... It's like a bodysuit. Yeah, it's a bodysuit, and that's what it looks like. It's like a big onesie for adults. And it's great that not only does he have the reaction, this is ridiculous, but then when he's found on the street and he yeah. crashes in the building, they bring him to to get a mental health check. Yes. Because you've got this guy running around in a suit on the street. And also, this little kid, uh, his he was changing into this in the men's room. Well, the, the dad of this kid... They go into the men's room and the dad assumes that he's walking around in his underwear, basically, mm. right? So he pulls the kid out and he's going to go call the police. The kid knows, because the kid knows superheroes. Right. So the kid kind of knows what's going on and he's like, you don't know how to do that suit right. You have to take three steps to and then fly. hold your arms yes. out to fly. So he takes the kid's advice and then immediately crashes into a building. Yes. <laughs> Which is hilarious because I really expected once he figured it he jumps two or three or four times once he figured it out that he'd fly really well no yeah this is not harry potter where we hop on a broom and we're perfect no we're not perfect right off, off the bat oh my gosh i love it so then we come to the piece where he's left the mental institution he's with pam who right now is his lawyer but it, they they admit that they have feelings for each other right? yes yep and we get some of the other powers that he can kind of see portals almost. Yeah, I've got the powers we see in this first pilot is he can fly. Mm-hmm. He's super strong. He can he has these visions that he can see something going on. And it's not like x-ray vision where he sees through a wall. He can see things going on across town yeah, he sees that it, are connected to somehow. Yeah, he sees it on a wall, but it's... It's more like, um, and sometimes in a mirror. Yeah, it's more like a vision of something going on right now. Right. Yeah. That he has to go help. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, he's bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he has some kind of super hearing where a number of times he hears conversations that are way out of his earshot. L- um, later, there's a mention to invisibility. Yes. We didn't see that in either of the episodes we watched. But in one of the season two intros, there's a little flash of it. Okay. They save Bill because Bill's been kidnapped by bad guys. Yeah. And he sees the vision of Bill. And so he goes and crashes through the wall and saves Bill. Right. But once he gets Bill in the car, Bill looks at Pam and he's like, who are you? Ralph goes, she's my lawyer. And Bill, being a very old fashioned traditionalist, goes, you're too pretty to be a lawyer. Yeah. And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, you're one of those feminists. Yeah, well, I also have that... One of those feminists, you know, who has a job. I have that Bill talks like he's a 60s gumshoe. Yeah, he does. At one point, he says, and I'm quoting, we're going to jam a crooked stick in this hornet's nest and hear them sing. <laughs> Which, I don't know what that means. Um, he also says... <laughs> yeah, he, he mixes metaphors. He also says, we're running it past the scanner trying to find a little radioactivity. Yeah. Which I think what he's meaning is we're trying to figure this out. Yeah. But I mean, really crazy um, he's also obs- sayings. He's also obsessed with commies. 
Right, so which is, in the 81, which would be a big thing. This is during the Cold War. Yeah. And there is some kind of indication that although this seems to be a religious cult, that they're trying to do this coup because the vice president might be more favorable to Russia as well. well or at least also, Bill thinks that that yeah. might be the case. And also they're, they're funded by that rich guy who basically he's backing this army group and yes. he's backing the vice president. So he right. really wants power. Yeah. After they get Bill... This was another highlight for me. He picks up the car to show Pam that he's got superpowers. Yes. He just lifts up her car and then she faints. Yeah. I just thought it was, it's one of those classic like 1980s cross-eyed faints. Yes. So then we, we finally kind of find out, it's very slowly, we find out how all these things are interconnected. Yes. That... This is a cult. They have the vice president in their pocket. It's kind of being supported by this wealthy individual, all of that. And they call the president. And then the president comes by helicopter. To pick up the vice president. Pick up the vice president. So then we have this super strength where Ralph throws off the guards. And then he grabs some lights, I guess, so the helicopter can see him better. Yeah, but also what it is is the plan that we figure out is that they want the president in his helicopter to land thinking he's picking up the vice president. They're going to take him captive, fly the helicopter with him in it out over the ocean and crash it. So mm-hmm. people say, oh, the president died and then the VP becomes president. Right, but why does he pick up the lights? He picks up the lights because they're the landing pad lights. So not only does it make oh. him more visible, but the helicopter can't see well to land. Right. And then he basically scares the helicopter off so that they can't get the president. Yeah. He flies up and he goes, get out of here, idiot. Yeah, <laughs> as he's flying around the helicopter. And the guy's like, what? What is going on? And he goes, idiots, idiots, get out of here. Dummies. Dummies. Yeah. And the the, heli- the pilot goes, tell the president that we're aboarding the mission. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. Then they try to shoot Ralph, but he's bulletproof. Yep. One of the guys tries to escape in a dune buggy, and Ralph stops it with his foot and kicks it backward, and it flies like 100 feet the other direction. Yeah, so we have some antics like that, but essentially they win. And then we have a tag at the end where we're back in the desert. Bill comes to talk to Ralph and Pam, Yep. and the aliens come back. And they say, good job, you did well. Yep. Oh, because also he had a choice. I forgot to mention this. He had a choice to use the suit or not. Yeah, and if he didn't, the suit would disintegrate. Yeah, so, but I kind of liked that too. Like, he didn't have to. It wasn't compelled. Well, I also liked that they mentioned when they first gave him the suit that only Ralph can use it. Yes. So it wasn't like they could hand it off to somebody different. We, we have what is, I know it's the end, but it is my very favorite part of the episode. And that is that Bill kind of reprimands him, but then says, you know, you did a good job. And for a, for a guy who's kind of a normal guy, you were really brave. And he sticks out his hand. Yeah. And Ralph shakes his hand and cracks it. And breaks. You hear bone break. Because Ralph's still wearing the suit under his clothes. And Ralph goes, oh, geez, sorry, Bill. I just, I got the suit on underneath. And Bill's just standing there like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying not to cry. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious. I loved it because it sets up the dynamic between these two guys and also Pam. So this three-person dynamic that, you know, we're figuring things out. Mm. We're going to have a little bit of humor with this, right? Yeah. Um, there's possibilities between Ralph and Pam. And 
that Ralph really, he's trying. And that Bill is kind of the button-down guy that grounds him, and he's the younger guy who gives him a little bit of pep yes. and energy. So that's how the pilot ended. And then we skipped over, because this is Steve's choice. Yep. Um, season 2, episode 12, Just Another Three-Ring Circus. So can we have the quick rundown? Yeah, so Bill is in the doghouse with his boss. Yes. The direct The local director of the FBI. Because he feels that Bill doesn't do things the proper way. He does. He's kind of a lone wolf kind of guy. So he decides to give Bill garbage cases. And the first one he gives him is a missing clown. Mm-hmm. He has to go to a, a circus to figure that out. So Bill r- pulls Ralph into this and says, I know it's not our normal type of case we use the suit for, but I need to figure this out. I got to get on my boss's good graces. Mm-hmm. So Ralph goes undercover as a human cannonball <laughs> yes. at the circus. And he seems super excited about being in the circus. Oh, he's very excited to um, be there. Yeah. Bill gets in a shootout in a luxury apartment. And then when he returns with his boss to show him, someone's covered it up. And they've gotten rid of all the evidence and they made it look like nothing ever happened. Except. Except there's a clue. Yeah, there's a there's a clue for a dating site, basically. Mm-hmm. So Bill goes undercover as well as like a chore hand where mm-hmm. he's cleaning up and things at the circus. <laughs> um, and he almost gets eaten by a tiger at one point. Uh, Pam goes undercover to check out the dating site because both the guys are at the circus. Right. Um, and she realizes that something seems off about that. And then they all hit on her. Yeah, they all hit on her. <laughs> They're pretty un- unprofessional, don't seem to be really running a business. So they end up going to the circus and everything comes to a head when the trapeze team, we find out, is trying to rob the dating service. Mm-hmm. And when they follow them there and you know, end up getting into it with the trapeze team. They find out they save the day and they save the guy that's been kidnapped, not the clown. He got killed, unfortunately. Yes, off camera. Um, Off camera, because he figured out what they were up to, Mm. and that's why he went missing. But they had kidnapped another man in in the interim, and he was a CIA agent. And so we find out that this dating site, much like Pam thought, was actually not a viable business, but a CIA cover. It was like a records depository mm-hmm. where CIA agents would like debrief and record it. And so these peop- these trapeze team wanted to steal all of that information from the from the CIA. Yeah, and basically they've been stealing information from every city that the circus traveled to. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, they tried to kill Ralph. By, like, overloading the cannon, which shoots him way far. But, of course, Ralph's indestructible because he has the suit on, so it's not a big deal. Well, and he can kind of fly. And he can kind of fly, right. <laughs> yeah. So, they, again, they end up winning the day. And it puts Bill in not only good graces with his boss, but, like, the head Washington, D.C. FBI. Mm-hmm. Because it was such a big case that they were able to solve. And Pam is getting... Calls from CIA people wanting to date her. Yeah, all the CIA agents that were undercover there now want to date Pam. So a little bit of tension there Uh, between Pam and Ralph as well. So it kind of, again, it ends in a little bit of a humorous kind of uplifting I think it ends with Ralph saying, what did you do with that dating site? Or something like that. Yeah. So let's go piece by piece. You know, one of the things that we noticed is that in the description, Yuri is described very specifically as a Polish clown. Yes. And... At first, we were kind of like, why? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? It's an international circus, but why does it matter Right. Well, what you find out is basically, you know, it's actually important because Poland was part of the 
Eastern Bloc. Eastern Bloc. And essentially that means that they were part of the Soviet Union until 1989. Right. So they're still part of it at this point. And it's not clear if the rest of the trapeze artists are Polish or Russian, but they're working for the USSR. Right. There's a connection there. And he, because he because he was connected to that group and probably spoke the language, he was able to figure out what they were up to. Yes, exactly. So he figured out that they were Russian spies. And they killed him for it. And they killed him for it. I thought that... (laughs) <laughs> what I, I looked up, um, if you've never been on tvtropes.org, I love TV tropes. I love reading about TV tropes and I can spend, I can go down a rabbit hole on that website. But I looked this up because the last live action show we did was Little House on the Prairie and they had a couple circus episodes. And I seem to remember like a number of shows in the 70s, 80s, maybe even into the 90s mm-hmm. had circus themed episodes. Yeah. And TV Trope says the circus episode provides an excuse for producers to show off lots of circus acts. If any of the regular casts have talent in these areas, expect the plot to require their character to step up and perform in the show for some reason. Yeah. Which we have because Billy Cat can juggle. Yeah. They, they also mentioned that, you know, they mentioned as they, when they arrived there that this is like the premier circus in the world and it's just called the International Circus. Yeah. But at the time, Ringling Brothers was doing a lot of tours. Yeah, Ringling Brothers... I remember in the late 80s going to see Ringling Brothers. Because Ringling Brothers merged with Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. And so you had Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus and I actually went to one of their last shows before they shut down mm-hmm. and it was really fascinating and I went as a kid as well but we do have the actor who plays Ralph juggles really really well Mm -hmm. I also want to say that circus episodes what I found I wrote a book um, that featured the circus so I did a lot of research for it it's kind of a subversive world it's like its own separate world it's very insular Mm -hmm. and so you do have to infiltrate it because and this is kind of true of carnivals, too, because they'll use this term for people who work in both, but, like, carnies. Right. Carnies don't trust outsiders. Right. Right? And and so they do have to really go in and be undercover in order to become part of that world. And it's not until they're working there for a long time that then someone says... I heard you kept asking about Yuri. If you keep asking questions like that, you're not going to last long. I just want to warn you. Right. Right? And I also thought it was hilarious that Bill ends up mucking out the stables, essentially. He wanted to be a big-time security guard, and he's not. You know, they also utilized it to drop little informational pieces. Like, when they're checking the missing clown's tent, Ralph says to Bill, you know, something to the effect of, you know, clowns... It, it, there's more to it because, like, a clown's makeup design and wig are actually, like, licensed and only that clown can use them. Yeah, you really can't. So you get a little more information than you Yeah, you can't, like, trample on somebody else's character. Right. Yeah. Um, I also, before we get to the circus, Bill being reprimanded by his supervisor. First of all, this guy has the bluest eyes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was like, are they fake? I looked it up. No, the actor's name is William Bogert, and he really did have, mm-hmm. like, very, very yeah. blue eyes. He's young at the time, but he was a character actor, too. Yeah. He was in a number of other things. But I love that they're making... That- <laughs> 
First of all, one of the running gags is that Bill keeps losing cars. They keep getting destroyed. <laughs> right. And the second thing is that Bill, who in the first episode was wearing a three-piece suit, is a little bit more rumpled. Mm-hmm. And the director says to him, all these young recruits coming in, they're trying to be like you. They're trying to be cool and casual and all that, which he's still wearing a suit and tie. Yeah. But it seems like Ralph has rubbed off on him a little bit. Right. That Ralph might be trying to be a little more professional and that Bill is like a little bit, for an FBI agent, he's a little bit more casual. Also, Bill is projecting this like hotshot lone wolf aura because he's solving all these big cases and no one knows he's partnered with Ralph. Yeah. Because Ralph, being a superhero, has to fly off before the cops get there. So people are like, you're a lone wolf. Well, he's really not. He's actually part of a three-person team. Right. They also have, when uh, Bill goes to Ralph and Pam to tell them, here's the assignment, here's what we're doing, they have this great parallel conversation where Bill's like, and this guy in the FBI, he's on my butt, and he wants, and now he's giving me this horrible car, and Bill, and And Ralph. Ralph is complaining about his kids' test scores. Yeah, and he's like, and the Ohio test, they don't even care about it. It's like, what do I have to do to care? And they're just, which I find this hilarious because I have seen this happen in real life. Like, they're not listening they're to each other. They're venting to each other, but not listening yes. to what the other person's saying. And it shows their friendship just in this really cute way. Um, and then we get to the actual lots of, by the way, lots of circus jokes and puns, mm-hmm. which I liked. And then we get to the actual circus. Now, these trapeze artists are kind of dressing up like ninjas. And they're going in on hang gliders yep. to, to infiltrate Repelling places. Repelling down the side of buildings. Yeah, because they're circus performers and they're like very lithe and limber and mm-hmm. all of that. Then one of them at the circus lets the tiger out to try to attack Bill. Yep. And one of Ralph's powers seems to be that he can calm the tiger down. I don't think that was one of his powers. I think, you know, he, That's flies, just him. he flies in and bends the bars and gets Bill out. But I think it's just kind of Ralph's calming peacemaker personality. Yeah. I was going to mention, most superheroes might fly in and like punch the tiger or wrestle yeah. it. And, and Ralph doesn't do that because he's really not that way. Yeah. Right? He just kind of settles and calms the tiger down and then goes out and bends the bars back himself. Yeah. Then we have Pam at the dating service. So we cut away from the circus action for a bit to follow Pam. What do you think about the dating service? Just how it's structured. Talk about how it's structured. Well, I mean, it's interesting because when I'm first watching it, I'm going, this is really shoddy. Think about it. It's actually the perfect cover for a CIA debriefing because you have the video equipment. I totally forgot about this type of dating service. that, That you'd watch different videos of people and try to pick which one you liked and then go on dates with them and all of that. Um, but yeah, the Sunday sale at, at sunset with the matchmaker. <laughs> yes. And then when she's on a date with another guy who's a CIA Chuck. operative under... under No, Kenny. Kenny's his real name. Chuck's his fake oh, name. Oh, that's right. He... He says, do you like sailing? Because I have a boat. Apparently all the CIA have boats, or what I'm assuming is that one, one boat, boat they share. <laughs> That's what my thought was, too. I wrote in my notes, 
is it just one boat <laughs> or do are they all really wealthy but of course this is probably i mean we're an east coast people we're from new york right up upstate new york this is probably an la thing because yeah. i've never gone on a date and been like you like boats <laughs> like that's never been a thing i've tried to pull off but apparently it's a big thing in la remember when we met and i was like do you like kayaks you're like I've i have got... a boat and i'm like i have a boat it's a kayak yeah <laughs> so we don't know yet that chuck's in the cia Okay, he just knows that Pam and Bill are poking around. Pam's eating popcorn, but she's very wary. Chuck pulls out a gun. Pam, in a moment of inspiration, goes, oh, throws her popcorn in her fit in his face. Mm -hmm. And that gives Bill the opportunity to punch his lights out. Yes, and then he handcuffs him and they take his gun. Gosh, I love it so much. It's so cheesy, but I love it so much. It was so great. Then Ralph's cannon is spiked by the Russian spies. Yeah, to fire off at a much higher rate than it yes, would Yes, and they show the gauge going up and up, so it kind of builds tension. And this is, this part was my favorite part of this episode, that he shot out of the cannon and he goes so high up, he hits a hot air balloon. Yeah, he goes through the roof of the circus tent. <laughs> Almost hits a hot air balloon and lands in a park like a, a couple of miles down the road. A couple miles down. So in the meantime, the students that Ralph teaches in the special ed program have come to the circus because they're worried that their teacher has run away to join the circus. And they want to show him that they can do better on the state tests and that they're willing to retake them. So we have that whole kind of subplot to kind of, again, ground Ralph as this normal guy who has a job. Um, And as he's been shot out of this cannon, the kids from the class then are worried about him. They go to Bill and they ask Bill, um, you know, where is he? Is he okay? Bill's like, he's fine. He landed in some hay. In the meantime, they look over and the elephant has sat on Bill's car. So we have, again, that running gag that Bill always has these cars that break down or that are um, damaged in some way. And he's, again, kind of going to be in trouble with his boss. But he borrows Tony's car, which is a little bit of a um, non-standard car, let's just say, for an FBI agent. It's a little bit flashy. And he's able to get Ralph and they stop the... Soviet spies from um, taking this information from the CIA. So then we pick back up at the end and all of these guys from the CIA are hitting on Pam and coming to her apartment and trying to get a date with her. And then she and Ralph kind of exchange looks because at this point, I think later they get engaged, but at this point they're kind of flirting. At this point, I think they're together. But they're not they're not engaged or anything. Right. But yeah, so it ends with Ralph looking at her after all these guys are showing up and goes, what did you do with that dating service? Because, of course, it's her fault that these men are all after her. Also, super creepy because they're CIA, so they know where they're she stalking lives. Her, they're yes. stalking her. But, look, it's not that kind of a show, and it ends in this really cute, sweet way, and all's right. And this is another thing we've seen with a lot of these 80s shows is that they're a one-off, that there are some things that carry through. Yeah. But, really, it's a one-and-done story problem complication 
and then solution. Some of the things carrying through are subplot. Like, yeah. like he still can't Ralph's fly di- that well. Like Ralph's divorce. Right. And the fact that he's a single dad, which I put down next to that. You know, I really like that because I felt it gave depth to the story. Yeah. All right. He was just not this teacher who's a superhero. There's a lot of other issues going on in his life that I think makes it a deeper plot or show than others of its type. Yeah, I really, and I put this in my notes too, that I would have even, I would have watched the original concept for this show, which is just that he's solving those everyday problems mm-hmm. um, in a smaller way. So in that way, it reminded me of a show that we're, we have to watch at some point, early edition, where they get the newspaper yep. the day ahead of time and then try to help people by like, you know, going whatever right. the top stories were and fixing them. Or um, Highway to Heaven again, where they're kind of, they're solving people's problems, but a lot of times they're not the biggest problems right. in the world. It also reminded me of a show we love, Chuck. Yeah, it was a little bit like that because too. Because he has superhero powers, but can't control them. <laughs> yeah. And I really liked that aspect of it. So how did people feel about it at the time? So reception was actually fairly good. Um, I'm looking now, you know, they didn't have a lot of, reception from 81 that you can really get a hold of right Mm -hmm. um its ratings were decent i mean it went three seasons which was fairly good as well as well what they did have is now looking back on it uh rotten tomatoes it has a hundred percent score and that's all critics which is really difficult because critics tend to not like you know yeah i think it's like 11 or 12 critics Gave it 100%. Oh, okay. Um, IMDb ha- gives us a 7.9 out of 10. I mean, it had a very good reception. It's it, one of those shows that fell out because probably, like you said, it wasn't, it doesn't have a large syndication package, mm-hmm. right? You know, I mean, we're talking 45 episodes total. Last week, Transformers Season 2 was bigger than this entire show. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, the other thing about this is that I know that I've seen it on lists of best sci fi shows of all time. Yeah. So that kind of says something. And, it's, and you know, I will say this too. A lot of great sci-fi shows don't have that long of runs. If you think about, we were just talking about Firefly. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, there are some like Star Trek that go a really long time. Yes. But something like Firefly, Andromeda, VR5. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that show where virtual reality is real. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of these sci-fi shows that have this great concept. But sci-fi can sometimes be a niche genre. Where only kind of certain people watch it. So what did we think of it? We're going to do our ratings and then we have a sneak preview. Well, I'll rate first because you had, this was new to you. So so my rating, I really like the show. I'm going to say that there are some dated elements because it's from 81, right? There are some things in here that are are pretty dated. Huge computer um, rooms. Huge computer rooms, <laughs> right? Obviously, no cell phones, no things like that. Yeah. Um, the cars are very dated, right? The way that Bill kind of talks to ladies is a bit dated. He even like way into season two, he's still like, "Yeah, gorgeous to Pam," yeah. right? But despite all of that, I think there's a lot of good dialogue here. I think the writing was good. I think the production value is good. There's even little quips that are snuck in there. Like at the end of the pilot, as Bill is telling Ralph he did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, obviously, you know, you're the, the guy with the suit. And then they, they teamed us up together for a reason. He's like, you know, and I should be like kind of the like boss because I'm an FBI <laughs> agent. He's like, why else would they team us up? And... Pam goes comic relief, <laughs> yes. right? And yes. it just dead. And she just says it from the background. Yeah. 
But it's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of things like that that I thought were really good. So I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it nine capes out of ten. Okay. Um. So for me, this was a really, especially after last week, this was a really refreshing show. We did not have time, but I really didn't want to skip to season two. I really wanted to just watch episode two. Yeah, I would watch more of it. I to would be watch the I think whole it's a pretty thing. good show. Yeah, we sometimes binge watch stuff and especially you can hear us sniffling a bit here and there. We're still kind of recovering from COVID. I think um if we had time, I would binge watch this. I really would. And I think that they could bring it back either just as a straight reboot or as a Netflix show where it's a short form like ten episodes a season mm-hmm. so that it has kind of a beginning, middle end. I greatest american heroine either way <laughs> i mean either way i think some of the dated stuff you know a lot of like bill's comments bill is supposed to be like a silent generation guy and yeah. the two of them are basically baby boomers so it is supposed to show those generational differences and it's kind of clear when he's like talking about the special head kids in a negative way or kind of being a little bit demeaning to pam yeah. that you're not supposed to act like that. Right. So it's not like, you know, with some of these where it's condoned or overlooked. It, I, could, it could be updated, though, where Bill is a baby boomer and Ralph is like a millennial. Yeah, or Gen Z. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I think that this was a great show, and I'm going to give it a nine as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised reading some of the descriptions i thought oh it's gonna be kind of like manimal was okay we kind of gave it a middling score but i thought it would be like that i thought the editing was great i thought the acting was great i thought it was just the right amount of humor the right amount of action the right amount of mystery so nine capes capes out of ten out of ten nine capes out of ten for the show, and surprisingly, we're opposite on the snack. Two out, out of two, two out of five. Two capes out of five for the for snack. the pixie sticks. So pixie snick sticks, not so much, but greatest American hero. That's a high score. High that's score. probably one of our highest. I yeah, think. it is. It's up there with like splash and mm-hmm. yeah. And we are on the same page. With sometimes with the higher scores, we're not. That's true. I think splash and Willy Wonka. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit were all... Yeah, so they were really, all high This scores. is the first TV show we've given that high of a score to. I think so, So yeah. that's awesome. Um, so, our favorite part of the show. The end. What is Steve no. willing... No. <laughs> no. A preview for later. What is Steve willing to watch? So, our next film, um, because we've, we um, tape these a little bit in advance, our next film we know is going to be Flight of the Navigator. Yep, which was a fan uh, suggestion. Which was a fan suggestion. After that, we come up into summertime. Yep. So we have a list of 10 summer movies. You're going to pick one and I'm going to pick one. Okay. And you get to go first. So here is our summer movie list. Are you ready? Yes. 1979 Meatballs. That's a Bill... Yep, I know what it is. Yep. <clears throat> no, I'm telling. Well, I'm telling you. If anybody else doesn't, okay. Know. Yeah, 1979 meatballs. Uh, number two, 1987, Dirty Dancing. Number three, also 1987, Summer School. Number four, 1989, Weekend at Bernie's. Number five, 1989, Field of Dreams. Number six, 1991, My Girl. Number seven, 1993. Indian Summer. 
Number eight, 1993, The Sandlot. Number nine, 1994, Camp Nowhere. And number 10, 1995, Heavyweights. Hmm. That's a pretty long list. Well, it's 10 movies. And they're all good, I'm gonna <laughs> I have think, to for go, my memory. I'm going to have to go with Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, 1989. Um, oh, man. I, I'm really torn here because Indian Summer is actually one of my favorite movies that I can remember. I don't think I've seen it since 1994. I don't think I've ever seen but it. But it was one of my favorites at the time. I feel like, you know, things like Dirty Dancing Weekend at Birdies are really well known. I kind of want to do... Something that people might not know as well. So what's it going to be? <laughs> I don't know. Do, 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 um, Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to go with Camp Nowhere. Um, Field of Dreams is really a, a movie for adults that I enjoyed as a kid, but I think we should do a summer movie that really was made for kids, and it's a little less well-known, but I think people our age really love it. And also, um, our lineup for that grouping is um, all based on camp stuff. So we're okay. going to watch uh, John Candy had a cartoon, Camp Candy. Yeah. And then we're going to watch uh, Salute Your Shorts, which was a Nickelodeon live action TV show. And then we'll do Camp Nowhere. All three have camp themes. Yeah. And then the movie after that will do uh, Field of Dreams. Okay. So those are going to be some of our summer picks coming up. Super exciting. I can't wait and we hope to see you there. So in the meantime, please, please, please leave reviews, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. They have an algorithm where that's where you can be seen the most. Okay. So like, follow, subscribe, rate, review. Only if you like us, I guess. <laughs> if you don't, just stay silent and send us DMs about how you don't like it. We're always <laughs> open to suggestions. So if you have a cartoon a live action TV show or a movie from your childhood that you'd like to hear us do, uh, please uh, contact us through our uh, Facebook or our website and let us know. Yeah, and um, I will say too, if you have three things that kind of have a theme, like this time we did sci-fi stuff, we did Transformers and um, Greatest American Hero, and then we have Flight of the Navigator coming up, so kind of all aliens, Yep. right? Um, if you have three things like that that you think we should do all three, we're, we're, we might be open to that too. Yep. So that's it. For now, I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. Have a great week, everybody.